Tonight we will continue in our Authentic Christianity series. On Sunday morning, we began the process of diving into life as a sacrifice. And Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's where we'll be at again tonight. All three messages have come from mainly Romans 12, 1. And tonight we will again go to Romans 12, 1 and then verse 2. This is an absolutely wonderful chapter, this transition in Romans, all that the Apostle Paul tells us in this portion of his letter. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter, and I would invite you to go back and read all of it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, let's read those to refresh our mind, and then we'll pray and get into this third message on life as a sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then the Bible defines that sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this night that we come to enjoy being in your presence. God, to be here to study your word. God, to sing. Lord, for all that you've already done on this campus today, we want to say thank you. And God, thank you for each and every person that's here, those that are watching online. And Father, tonight we pray that you would continue to drive home the truth of what you gave the Apostle Paul thousands of years ago by divine inspiration to write a letter to a church in Rome that in 2021 we could read and understand and have a better knowledge and more grasp of what you desire of your people. And God, tonight I pray that you would take the words that we're going to say, and Father, I pray that you would be glorified in all that's done. Hide me behind the cross as I preach the word. And Father, I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts. God, no doubt there are people here tonight who have worked long, hard days. Their minds are distracted on the things to come for tomorrow or this coming week. Lord, I pray that now you would settle our hearts and our minds for just a few minutes on the things that matter and that the word of God would encourage us all tonight. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen and amen. All three messages I've started with this statement, and I want to give you this statement again, because if this is your first time hearing one of these life as a sacrifice messages, this is kind of the uh, bullion cube, if you will, the condensed version of what we're exploring, the thought uh, that Romans 12, 1 and 2 has provoked. And it's this statement, authentic Christianity, that's what we're exploring and looking at. Authentic Christianity demands to be defined by God's word, free of extra biblical nuance or personal adaptation to suit personal preference or fleshly desire. And what we're saying there is that as we study authentic Christianity, this is now the ninth or the eighth message in this series. But as we explore this, our desire is to go to the very root, the very foundation of our faith and allow the Holy Spirit of God through the authority of His Word for us to know where we stand in our faith. 
As we walk into the darkness and into what our culture is becoming, what our country is becoming, uh, things may get even more difficult. And for us, Ephesians 6 lays it out all on the line. You need the strength, you need the ability, you need the foundation to be able to withstand in the darkness in which we are living in. And so it is very biblical for us all to go to the root of our faith and to know why we believe what we believe. And we said on Sunday morning, just as a reminder and a quick review, I do not want to go through both messages, but I do want to give you a couple of quick points in case you miss those messages. But authentic Christianity, as we are defining it and as we're finding it in God's Word, authentic Christianity is not found in what you can get from God. It's not the service agreement that you get in a relationship with the Lord. You received everything you would ever need from God when you got saved. The moment that you were saved, that you were born again, you got everything you would ever need for this life. Period. That's why we can stand so against so strongly the health and wealth teaching of the day. That if you'll accept Christ and pay a price that you'll never understand what poverty is or cancer is or a disappointing day or the loss of a loved one. That's just not so. And when we understand that when God gave us salvation, he gave us literally everything we would ever need to live in this life, then it puts everything else into perspective. And what we're finding in God's word is that authentic Christianity is actually found. It's actually rooted in what I can give to God. And what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is telling us is that we are to give our lives back to him as a living sacrifice. And the word sacrifice, we broke all of that down on Sunday uh, this desire of heart to worship, that it would match the sacrifice. In other words, God does not want your sacrifice if he does not have your heart. And we talked about those verses in Amos, that God would not even listen or look upon a sacrifice from someone who was presenting it with a dirty heart or an unclean heart. He said it was noise to him, that he wouldn't look upon it nor honor it. So God defined how much he wants our hearts, how much he wants your very being, your inner person. And then we talked about how through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that old system, the, the animals being sacrificed, that's over. And now we are in the new economy of sacrifice. You and I are what's on the altar. God wants our life. He doesn't want our flesh and our blood in uh, the sense of what the animal uh, was done with, but he wants us to live for him and that our lives, our hearts, our inner being, everything that we are is on the altar for him to do with our lives as he pleases. And so we talked about those four components. On Sunday morning, we talked about the soul. The soul is where a living sacrifice begins. If you're here tonight and you're not saved or you're not sure that you're saved, it's very difficult for you to be a living sacrifice. God wants your heart, not your religious action. God wants your heart. He wants the inner man, not your faithfulness to a blue chair. God wants more than your money and your tithe and, and your ability to serve and volunteer. God wants your soul. He wants the inner man. And so for us to be a living sacrifice, we're dead in trespass and sin. The life that we're being given is the new life given to us in our salvation. So in other words, it's not our life in the first place. We're giving back something that does not belong to us in the first place. 
And so he's just asking back for what he's already given, security and an eternity in heaven with him, with God the Father, Jesus, and our loved ones who are already there. The soul, you must be born again to be a living sacrifice. Then we talked about the body, that authentic Christianity puts the entire body on the altar as a living sacrifice. Your physical body, what your hands do, what your mouth says, where your hands and your feet take you, Those are all on the altar for God to do as he pleases. We talked about our body and the flesh that we all are born with. The human nature, we define that, the Adamic nature that goes back all the way to our father Adam. And then Paul reminds us in Romans 6, 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. He's saying your flesh is sick, it's weak, and there were so many descriptive words about your flesh and how your flesh is perceived in the eyes of God. And what we came to know is that our flesh needs to to die to self. Our desires, our human nature, all of that must come into subjection to the Lord. And then tonight we will finalize this life as a sacrifice in this third message There are two remaining concepts or components, ideas of what it means to be a living sacrifice. The first was the soul. The second was the body. Tonight, we will do the mind and the will. The mind in the will. The mind is critical. We have to start with the soul. The body follows. But the mind, the human mind, as it pertains to being a living sacrifice As it pertains to being an authentic Christian, the mind is critical. So many Christians that I know and that you know, that we speak to, that we love, often find themselves in a great battle or a struggle in the ebb and flow of a consistent relationship, a consistent walk of faith with the Lord. And sometimes it's a real battle that uh, they aren't able to keep themselves on the altar as a sacrifice daily. There's a real struggle for them to wake up, get out of the bed, and put themselves on the altar. Some of us here tonight, we're even in a season now of struggling with the war going on with our flesh. And sometimes people get discouraged in the fact that they cannot stay consistent with their walk with the Lord. They'll say things like this. This is the time. This is the place. I'll never do that again. I'm going to change this time. This will be the last time that God and I have to have this conversation. I'm never going to be that person ever again. And the truth is, a couple of weeks go by, and somehow all that zeal, all that passion, all that dedication to live consistently as a sacrifice for the Lord, it is almost like it never existed. And what we find is that if our mind and our thought life have not been brought into subjection, then what you find is that the body follows the mind straight off the altar. If your mind, if your thought life, the privacy of your brain that no one else but God can see is not brought into subjection, And if it's not brought into perfect obedience of Christ, and if it does not die to self and self-determination and self-will and self-pleasure, then your mind will always take your body off the altar every single time. 
It's the number one element in us coming off the altar as a living sacrifice. The way you think, the way you perceive life, the worldview that you map out for yourself to embrace, that's all living in your mind. And if it doesn't come underneath the Lordship of Christ, our lives will quickly become back into that ebb and flow of off the altar, on the altar, consistent, inconsistent. And nothing can ever feel stable in our lives and our walk of faith with the Lord. And that drives so many people away into a further distance from the altar, from a family of faith, because sin is an isolator. Sin will always cut you off from the things that you love. Sin will always rob you of the joy of being a saved, born-again Christian. Sin will always come with consequence. Sin will always cause pain. And sometimes it's not even pain that you're inflicting on yourself, but it's pain that's uh, inflicted on those that love you the most. A husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a pastor, someone who cares for you deeply. Your sin will always have consequence every single time. And it will always take you off the altar when your mind is not completely surrendered to Jesus. It must, it must Come under subjection. The natural instinct of your flesh, who you actually are on the inside, the war against the regenerated man, it must come under subjection. It has to. It's too critical not to. And really for us to take our thought life and the way we think, the way we perceive, that feels like a tall order. How do we uh, bring our mind under subjection? Go back to Romans 12 and let's go down to verse number 2. And Paul, he helps us here with an understanding. And be not conformed to this world. If you highlight or if you underline in your Bible, please underline or highlight the word world. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's first define that word world. What do we mean by the word world? This word world that Paul's using here is referring to the fallen. This is the unredeemed. This is the system of Satan. The word is cosmos. This is the order, the arrangement, the evil world system that Ephesians 6, remember, totally spells out for the believer to understand those four subcategories of Satan's government, of his structure and order. In other words, there is an organized attack against every believer. And inside that organized attack is the cosmos. There's a concept from the 18th century German philosophy. And it means this. It means spirit of the age. The Germans called it the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. It means the ghost of the age, the floating mass of ideas, all thoughts, all opinions, all views, all religions, philosophies and theories, speculations, hopes, impulses, aspirations, and even temptations. The zeitgeist. This is the ebb and flow of the world, the cosmos. And all of those things put together in time, at any point in place in history, that defines the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, the cosmos, the system, the culture. It's the polar opposite of what heaven's structure is. 
For everything heaven has real, that God has real, Satan has a counterfeit to counter what God is doing. The zeitgeist, the cosmos, this is what we war against every single day as Christians. And this is what Paul is speaking of, this cosmos and this world, you must understand that this world is an instrument that Satan uses to promote his damning. He uses it to promote his goals, his aims, his aspirations. And Satan will always be relentless in his pursuit to destroy each and every life that he can get his hand on. That is the cosmos. That is the workings of the enemy that comes against us. And so we must understand the significance of us truly bringing our mind into subjection. Paul is saying, and be not conformed to this cosmos, the culture that's around you, the way of the world. Avoid it. The mind is the engine to the body and it brings the body to action. Think of the mind as the engine that brings the body to action. And think of this. The mind burns the fuel that comes from the heart. Think of that. Your mind processes what the heart possesses. Your mind processes what your heart possesses. If your depository or your tank, your fuel, the content that you consume is full of this world, then your mind will process the things of this world. And ultimately, your body will carry out the actions that are worldly. That's why what you watch on your TV screen at home is still important, even in 2021. That's why the music you consume is so vital to you staying on the altar as a living sacrifice. Where you are on Friday is just as important as where you are on Sunday. You can't erase what you did on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday by being in church on Wednesday night. It's a lifestyle of sacrifice. And Paul's saying, if you're going to remain on the altar, being who you're supposed to be as a living sacrifice for God to do as he pleases, then you must run as far as you possibly can from the cosmos. Stay away from it. 1 John 5.19 describes that even better. It says, and we know that we are of God. Praise the Lord. That's the best part of that verse. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That's what we're up against. We know that we are of God. We know that we've been born again. We know what the requirement is. We know what it is to live holy and clean before God. Why? Because we have his holy inspired infallible word in front of us to lean into for direction and guidance. But he says that the whole world lieth in wickedness. There's nothing that Satan has available for you that's not easy for you to get access to. Satan's never going to make it hard for you to get far away from God. Paul said that he even has a blueprint or a plan to take advantage of your specific weaknesses as a human being. Satan's very aware that we're all still flesh that deal with lust and problems and issues and sin. And Satan will take advantage of it. 
The Bible is very clear. Satan and his adversaries, his enemy that he has that works and operates with him, they know what your weakness is. And he's saying you need to avoid the cosmos, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's the world we've been called to be separate from. And now our culture, especially American culture, which really if you try to assess what American culture is right now, you will drive yourself insane because it doesn't make any sense. What do we know about Satan? He is the author of confusion. And when you look at America as a whole, her politics, her direction, all the things that are happening, it is nothing but confusion. That is the cosmos Teaching transgenderism to four-year-olds is part of Satan's plan to destroy lives within the cosmos, the zeitgeist, the action, the war against Christians. And Paul's saying, if you're going to survive, if you're going to be who you're supposed to be, you must avoid it at all costs. And now the world is coming up with solutions to replace exactly what we're talking about tonight. And the sad part is some Christians are embracing it. Remember this, that worldly purposes, worldly ethics, worldly standards, any type of morality that the world comes up with, at the end of the day, they're still satanic. If it steps outside of the bounds of God's word and it does not fall within the working of the Holy Spirit or the law of God, it is the work of Satan. And sometimes we find ourselves juxtaposed against a world who wants to pretend that it's moral. The morality of the world is nothing in light of our God. He is the author, the finisher of our faith, and he defines what our faith is. And for us to find some sort of outside source from God's word to uphold uh, our justification for sin or action or attitude or perception is a satanic work. That is part of the zeitgeist, the cosmos, the work against you and your family, your children. The devil does not want you to have a generational heritage of Christians in the family. He wants you to have a generational curse of pain and suffering and death and destruction and drug use and divorce. That's the plan. And Paul's saying, stay away from it. This is why that we must demand that authentic faith be defined by Holy Scripture. The world's willing to define what morality is. The world's even willing now to define what a Christian is. They want the opportunity. They're salivating at the opportunity to tell this generation what a Christian really is. And this is why we must demand as Christians that our faith and what we define as authentic faith come from God's Word. And it's where we as Christians, as Baptists, as husbands, as wives, daughters, whatever you want to plug in there, this is why the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word is absolutely off the table of question. If there is doubt in your mind or in your heart, you need to pray for stronger faith for the Holy Spirit of God to show you something, to lift your spirit, to give you greater faith. It's His faith. He'll give it to you to believe the inerrancy and the fallibility of God's Word. 
And anyone who tries to poke holes in the inerrancy, the infallibility of God's word is yet again doing the work of Satan. If this Bible is not completely, totally true from cover to cover, we're in big, big trouble. And we might as well go home. It is vital that we're willing to stand and protect and even die for the inerrancy of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.4 gives us a great example of this work that's coming against the Christian mind. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Notice how the God is spelt. It's a little g-o-d. It's not capitalized. This is because he's talking about the God of this world, Satan, the one who has dominion and control here. He's blinded what? The minds of them that believe not. It didn't say he had blinded their eyes. He blinded their minds. Satan wants the minds first so he can steal the hearts and the souls for eternity. Satan blinds the minds and the mind controls the body. Remember that your mind is a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful weapon. Depression, anxiety, panic, fear, dread, doubt, worry, self-hate, sleeplessness, unhappiness, anger. It all proceeds from the mind first, fueled by what's in the heart. And if you consume worldly material, worldly content, have worldly friends who do nothing but draw you further into the cosmos, then you'll be depressed, you'll be anxious, you'll be unhappy, you'll be sad, you'll be fearful. Because what you're consuming is processing the world's material. And that would sound like a sad place to leave a message. But thank God, just like that verse in 1 John said, and we know that we are of God. It's different for us. Christians who have authentic faith have been transformed. We're no longer of the cosmos I got graduated out of the cosmos, out of the control of Satan. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter what I say, for the rest of my life, for all eternity, I can never not be saved. I am saved, born again, regenerated forever, and there's nothing that will ever change that. We are the people of God. And he said part of your transformation is that you will leave the cosmos. You'll leave the world in the dust to be the world. And you'll be transformed. He even said you have been removed from the world. You've come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now present your body as a living sacrifice. He said it in the present tense. This is every day. This is not one action once a month, once a quarter, or when you take communion. This is every day. It's in the present tense. And our mind must be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ clinging to the authority of his word. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed literally means metamorphosis. The metamorphosis of your mind, the transformation of your mind. That verb metamorphosis, if you've heard me preach at all, you know that I'm absolutely infatuated with the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on Mount Hermon. And you know what? That verb there, metamorphosis, 
is the same verb that it used to describe what happened to Jesus on the mountain. He transformed into his glorious form in front of those men. And that's what you need to happen to you. You need to be transfigured in glorious form in your mind. And then your outward image, who you are, what you say, what you do, it'll come from heaven and not from hell. Be you transformed. How do we renew our minds? How is it possible? We all live amongst the cosmos. We all live in this sin-sick, sad world. How in the world am I supposed to live in this practically, Pastor Winston? 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, it asks. But we have the mind of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, the mind of Christ is sitting hopefully in your lap tonight. The Word of God, the Bible is alive. It's well. It's still relevant. It's still working. It's still active. And it's where we hear the voice of the Lord through Scripture. It's where we hide it in our hearts. This is where God lives for us. It's not some sort of whimsical emotion or spirit. God is defined by what's in His Word. And it's how we renew our minds. Colossians 1.9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you know what we need in 2021? We need knowledge and spiritual wisdom. We need discernment. We need to know what to say and how to say it and when to say it. We need to know that we are salt and that we are light and that we have a responsibility. But we need the discernment and the wisdom to know how to do that in the age in which we are living. Things are changing right before our very eyes. The good news is the gospel message of Jesus Christ has not changed. And it still works. Your Bible is your daily bread. It's your heavenly manna. You're to consume it. You're to hide it in your heart so that your engine, what it processes, that it can process those heavenly things that God has for you in His Word. You're not going to get it from a self-help book that you found on Amazon for $10. You're not going to get it from an inspirational Instagram page or reading some article in some newspaper or magazine or even watching a channel on Fox News. Or CNN, if that's what you choose. That's not where you're going to get what you need to make it. That's not the knowledge you even need to know what's happening in your world to be able to sustain. The world's being the world. They will continue to be the world. They will continue to hate and deteriorate. That's who they are. They're blind. Their minds are blind. They cannot see. They're being who they are. It's all they know to do. They've not been saved. There's not been a regeneration. We don't need more consuming of what's happening in the world. We need more consumption of God's word so that we know what to do when the world walks in here looking for hope. This is your sustainment and it's in God's word. This will renew your mind. Your mind is so in need of saturation. It's like a sponge. It will soak up something. 
And what it needs to soak up is divine truth. The mind is the ultimate battleground for every Christian that's in this room or watching online. This is where that fight happens. This is where the zeitgeist, the cosmos goes to war with what lives on the inside of you, the regenerated spirit, the saved man. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought that you think, every process that your brain goes through on a daily basis, it may be worry, it may be doubt, it may be fear. The Bible says that your mind is to be a slave captive to Christ. And that every thought that comes out of your mind is to obey Christ in captivity. It is to be drawn back in and brought back into the context of who you are. Born again and on your way to heaven. And God's word will always be enough Always be enough to give your mind exactly what it needs to be renewed. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Our mind should not only obey Christ, but we're encouraged to look at life as if we're thinking and processing in the most Christ-like manner possible. In other words, when your wife comes to you and she says, I accidentally ran into the back of your truck. This is an opportunity for you to think and process like Christ and not the world. When your CPA calls you and says, we forgot to do some paperwork at the beginning of the year, you owe a lot more than we thought you did. That is your opportunity for your thoughts to become captive. When it's 3 a.m. and you're scared to death and you don't know why, Those thoughts are to submit and surrender themselves to the authority of the shed blood of Jesus Christ according to God's word. Your mind is a slave to the Lamb of God. He said His mind is in yours. We have that mind. This is good stuff, church. This last part of the living sacrifice, the last component, is the will. The will. And this is the most simple of the four. The will of God is for you to simply do the will of God. The will of God is for you to do the will of God. You're not validating what God's will is. He doesn't need you to obey him to prove that he's God or that you're above some sort of standard. That's not what we're saying. But the will of God is for you to simply obey and do the will of God. And you becoming a living sacrifice is the will of God. And Jesus puts this on perfect display for all of us to see. This is ours, 
before He becomes my sin on my cross right outside of Jerusalem. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's weeping. His body is travailing. He is beseeching. He is begging God. He knows what's coming. And I still believe with all of my heart that it was not the fact that he was going to have to die, but it was the fact that God was going to have to turn his back on him. He's laying in the garden because he's getting ready to become anathema, separated from his father to soak up all of the filth that Winston was. And he knew that God, his father, would have to turn his back. That's why he was weeping in the garden. And in all of that grief and in all of that pain and in all that struggle and what he knew he was getting ready to become, he prays this, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Winston needs a Savior. It's not what's comfortable. It's not what's easy. It's going to be painful. I'm going to have to die a horrific death and become his sin. But it's not about me. It's about what Winston needs. And Father, if this is what you choose, I will submit to your will. And when you put yourself on the altar daily... For God to do what He pleases, when He pleases, and how He pleases with purpose. You're saying, not my will, but thine be done. But we know the story. Jesus embraces this. He goes to the cross. He dies. Three days later, He self-extricates Himself from the tomb. And now tonight, we have the living Word of God in front of us the hope of heaven, eternal security, the indwellment of the Holy Spirit, and the church. We have been blessed beyond any human understanding. The fact that I am not in hell tonight, separated from my God, is more than enough. And if in the morning, if the Lord chooses to wake me up, and the first thing I want to do is say, God, here I am, a living sacrifice. You can have everything that I am today. I submit to your will for my life, and I am in your hands. One great verse that you can pray as we close out this living sacrifice study. You say, Pastor, what is the requirement of God for me? What's a place to start? What's a good guideline? Once again, God's word will always be enough to define what your role is. But Micah 6.8 is a great verse. Pastor Nathan loves this verse. And I love it when he quotes it. He hath showed me, O man, what is good. And what, what doth the Lord require of thee? He's talking to you, his children. But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So to live as a sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God, the authentic Christian life, it possesses a strong desire. It generates the will based upon what the mind knows about the word of God, which informs the body what it should do. And all of it on the altar 
is an appreciation for the grace and the mercy that God bestowed upon you that you never deserved. That is living life as a sacrifice. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so very much for the truth that's in your word. God, for allowing us to process, to have a clear mind tonight. God, for us to understand and to be able to read and to think. God, that's a blessing. We're able to read your word, to own a copy of your word, to hide it in our hearts. God, you have been so good to us. Lord, we can never, ever, ever say enough about your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And Father, tonight we recommit ourselves to what's required of us. God, to be a living sacrifice. God, that we would die to ourselves. And Father, that we would be willing to follow your lead in our lives for your glory's sake. Father, I pray for the Christian that's here tonight that's struggling with their mind, the battle, the war that rages every day. God, I pray through the power and the ability, the far-reaching, capable hand of God that tonight, through your word, that their mind would come unto subjection. God, that their thoughts would obey according to your word, the Christ that paid for their soul salvation. God, that we would embrace the truth of your word, that we would not be afraid to lean in to the truth of your word, that we could live a whole and complete life. And Father, as we live this life on this earth that is a vapor, God, that we would submit ourselves each and every day to be what you've called us to be. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word and for the time together. Bless these dear people. Keep them safe. God, as they go home, I pray that tomorrow, the rest of the week, they would have a wonderful day at work, at school. God, for the ones that are going to the doctor or the hospital for tests or for surgery, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them. Lord, for those that are bereaved tonight, those that are hurting in their heart, who are missing a loved one, God, I pray that you would comfort them tonight. Lord, I pray for our country tonight. Lord, it so, so consumes our hearts to think of all the people who are so confused, who are blinded. The God of this world has destroyed their life with sin and wickedness and unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would give this church a fresh burden for lost people. God, that we would believe that the capable gospel would penetrate the darkness with the glorious light of Jesus Christ. And Father, that you would begin to save people in this town. Father, you said that if you would be lifted up, that you'd draw men to yourself. And Father, tonight we magnify the name of Jesus. We praise your holy name. We glorify you for who you are and for what you are. And we ask for our hands, our feet, our mouths to be simply used by the master to do what you want to do. I pray for this Lord's day that you would meet with us in a mighty and a powerful way. Prepare hearts and minds now. Lord, that we would be ready to receive the word of God and worship with clean hearts and clean hands. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, we all pray together.